Okay, so as I said this morning is a, a brand new series uh, that's titled Killjoys. So we're looking at those things that kill our joy uh, day to day. Uh, and as we think of that title, Killjoys, uh, I want us just to reflect upon this question. Uh, what is it in your life that causes you to no longer have joy? What is it in your life that causes you to no longer have joy? A more important question, have you ever had real joy in your life? Have you ever experienced true, authentic, genuine joy? And how do you know if you have or you haven't had joy? How do we discern what is joy and what isn't joy? These are all questions we're going to be looking at over the next uh, seven weeks. And as we understand what kills, prevents, diminishes joy in our lives, we also want to look at what gives us joy. Uh, We believe as a church that joy is rooted in Jesus himself. That a living, loving relationship with Jesus is that which gives us true joy. Uh, authentic joy, a life of fulfilment and satisfaction. And there are many counterfeits of joy, but there's nothing like real joy, a joy that is rooted in Christ himself. So we either don't have joy this morning, or we do have it. Uh, And there are reasons for this, and I hope we see this more and more. And so ask yourself, as you've came in this morning to church, do I have joy? Am I carrying true God-glorifying joy uh, in my life? Every week we're going to ask two questions and they'll be up on the screen for you. Uh, What is it that kills our joy? And how can we discover or rediscover our joy in Jesus? And so what is it that kills our joy uh, in our lives? What kills our joy is sin. Uh, Sin is when we desire something other than God and more than God himself. So sin is when we desire something other than God and more than God himself. And so every sin in our lives is literally a killjoy. And this series is based on Killjoys, which is a small book. Um, And we can provide um, these books for you. Um, They cost £5. The church will be subsidising a part of that. I think that's okay, Elmer. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So it'll be a a small subsidise. So it'll be £5 for a paper copy. You can buy them in Kindle for £1.99. So you can just do that yourself if you want to buy a copy. But it is a small book and I would recommend it. It is a a really helpful, a really practical book. And hopefully it will just instill uh, a deeper love uh, for God in your life. And this book focuses on what are regarded as the seven deadly sins. Now, we may have a skewed understanding uh, of the seven deadly sins because of the way our culture has understood these sins. They've been popularised, glamorised, romanticised through Hollywood fashion even through something as silly as ice cream brands. And the result is we can downplay each of these sins' significance, uh, thinking to ourselves that if culture's playing about with them in different ways, then they can't be that important for us to address within the Christian life. Or we can fictionalise them, believing that they don't have any real meaning for us in our walk with God. We can understand the seven deadly sins, like we might understand Star Wars or The Lord of the Rings. It's just a, a work of fiction. And in one regard, the seven deadly sins are not biblical. You won't find a passage that lists these seven sins together. But in another regard, they are deeply biblical. Because the more and more you dig into scripture and you get to the root of God's word, the more and more you realise that these seven sins are prominent. They are significant within the life of every single one of us. Along with scripture, 
uh, the seven deadly sins can be traced back as far back as the fourth century. And they've been understood to be the seven species of sins, the seven roots of sin. So at the heart of every sin is one of these seven. Or the seven affairs against God. It's believed that all sin can be traced back to these seven sources. And so let's, let's just very quickly go through uh, the seven deadly sins uh, as we see them in different parts of scripture. The seven deadly sins are pride, the sin of putting yourself above God, making yourself more important than God. Uh, anger or unrighteous anger, the sin of being annoyed, displeased, hostile as it, as it relates to a selfish, irrelevant love. Uh, envy, the sin of being unhappy at the blessing and fortune of others. Sloth, the sin of being lazy towards God, being bored with God, at its heart as a preservation of comfort for selfish gain. Greed, the sin of having an inordinate desire for wealth, possessions and material things. Lust, the sin of seizing sex for selfish gain, dishonouring people and of disregarding God. Gluttony, the sin of looking to food to satisfy some deeper craving in life. So we're going to look at one of these sins each week. And we're not just going to focus on that. It's going to be, there's going to be hope in this series. I recognise that we're looking at seven significant sins in all of our lives. But we do need to point towards the hope that is in Jesus. So we're also going to discover or rediscover the second question that we had. The second question being this. If these sins, any or all of them, became our literal killjoys, how do we then discover or rediscover our joy in Jesus? So if this is a reality for our lives, one or many of these sins, how do we then respond to that by discovering or rediscovering our joy in Jesus? Because Jesus is way more fulfilling, way more satisfying, way more valuable and rewarding than any one of these sins. I honestly believe that and I can honestly testify to that. You know, we have all tried these sins in our lives. But have you tried Jesus? Have you experienced the joy of knowing him and loving him? Have you honestly discovered that for yourself? Have you carried in your life joy in God that's deeper and greater than any of these sins, deeper and greater than pride, than anger, than envy, than sloth, than greed, than lust, than gluttony? This is a question for every single one of us. Have we experienced true, authentic joy in Jesus? And it has caused us to reject these sins. This is not just a question for those of us who don't have faith in Christ. It is a question for all of us. Because I know many, many Christians who don't have joy in Jesus. They have faces that look like they've been baptised in lemon juice. They're just miserable. And this is true. We can probably testify to people we know who are like that. But God calls us to be rooted in him and to carry joy in our lives. This is why the cross is so important to us at DBC. Because the cross releases us. It frees us to then have joy in Christ. To know him and to experience him and to reject these sins. More than being faithful and more than being obedient to God, it is about finding our deepest fulfilment in him. It is about finding our deepest satisfaction in Jesus. Because the reality is, you will not last, you will not persevere 
if all your focus is, is on being obedient and being faithful, you need to find fulfilment and satisfaction in Christ to persevere in faith. The joy of the Lord is your strength. John Piper uh, says it like this, God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in your life when you are most satisfied in him. And we often think that pleasure is a bad thing. But I hope we see that pleasure is an absolute gift from God and that through Jesus, our pleasure is redeemed. Through Jesus, we discover that our pleasure should only ever be in God. So we do many different things in this life that we enjoy and we find satisfaction in. And God calls us to worship him in those things. When I enjoy Papa John's pizza, God is calling me to worship Jesus in that moment and to give him thanks for the gift of pizza. And that's something really small, but it's in every area of our lives. He calls us to find joy and satisfaction in the big things and in the small things. Every moment is an opportunity for worship in Christ. So the question is, are you satisfied in God this morning? Are you satisfied in him? Do you find pleasure and joy in him in all the different things that you do in your life? Whether it's work, whether it's friendship, whether it's playing sport, whatever it is. A helpful passage um, to help us understand the question of fulfilment and to help us understand this series more and more each week is Isaiah 55 and verses 1 to 3. And it highlights the choice we all have in our lives and it's going to be up on the screen as well. The prophet Isaiah writes, Come, everyone who is thirsty, come to the water, and you without silver. Come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk, without silver and without cost. Why do you spend silver on what is not food, and your wages on what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me, and eat what is good, and you will enjoy the choicest of foods. Pay attention and come to me. Listen so that you will live. I will make a permanent covenant with you on the basis of the faithful kindness of David. So this passage is a picture of what it is that we can go to for spiritual nourishment, for life satisfaction, for fulfilment. Do we go to God himself or do we go to something else within this world? And when we pursue these killjoys in our lives, we need to ask ourselves the question of Isaiah 55 and verse 2. Why do I spend silver on what is not food? That's real spiritual food, God himself, and wages on what does not satisfy. You see, sin is pleasurable for a moment, for a season, and then comes despair. God is asking us, why do we spend our energy and our time on those things that do not satisfy? Spend your life on me, because I'm the only one who can satisfy. So this is a, the bird's eye view uh, of our passage, of our series really. And I want to, to now just press that wee plus button in the bottom right hand corner and zoom in uh, and focus in uh, on pride. Uh, and for us to really understand uh, what pride uh, is all about. Uh, all sin is us pushing ourselves away from God, but pride is different. Pride is us elevating ourselves above God. We self-promote and at the same time we also think we can relegate the divine. We actually have the audacity to think that we are bigger and more important than God himself. That is pride. That is really what undergirds 
any expression of pride, whether it's in our hearts or in our minds or with our hands and our feet. Jason Meyer, who writes a chapter on pride in our Killjoy's book, uh, says this about this particular deadly sin. He says, pride is a cosmic crime. It stands atop of all sin. It's the essence of all sin. It contends supremacy with God himself. Pride is spiritual suicide. Pride is spiritual suicide. And God responds to pride in a certain way. And we see this so clearly in our passage this morning. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verses 1 to 5. There's a lot in this passage that we could look at. But I want us this morning to be focused on what it is that Peter writes regarding pride and how God responds to this particular sin. So let's take a moment to read this together. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to this. The words are going to be up on the screen. If you want an actual copy, there's books up at the back uh, there as well. So Peter writes in verse 1 of 1 Peter chapter 5, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. Shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not out of greed for money, but eagerly, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. In the same way, you who are younger, be subject to the elders, All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Amen. God bless the reading of his word uh, this morning. God resists the proud. Other translations say that God opposes the proud. It's quite a thought when you think about it. God is actively in opposition against you if you are someone who carries pride in your life don't overlook these four words God resists the proud take a moment to reflect on this when you express pride in your life God actively resists you that's maybe news to you this morning many years back it was news to me I used to think of pride as as being a good thing something that, that you would use to celebrate after good news or some achievement and I remember a particular moment we had a, a Bible study um, with my friends, I think we're in our late teens, and we were looking at the book of James, and one of the key themes in this book is pride. And we realised together, man, pride is sin. We had no idea about that because our culture promotes pride; it sees it as this good thing, something to be, something to aspire to. To be proud is something to rejoice in and to celebrate. I had no idea that pride was a sin. But it goes right back to the very start, into Genesis 3. When Adam and Eve first sinned, the serpent tempted Eve with these exact words. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened. Speaking of the forbidden fruit. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the serpent tempted Adam and Eve. And he did so with the lure, with the enticement of pride. In other words, if you take this path, you don't need to follow God. You can be your own God. That is pride. When we think we're our own God. When Adam and Eve bit into that forbidden fruit, they were also, in a spiritual sense, biting into pride and into complete destruction. 
when we speak of pride, we're not speaking of those moments where you say to a child or a friend or a family member, I'm proud of you. Uh, that's something that we say a lot, and that is a good thing. Uh, what it means in our culture is, I delight in you, I rejoice in you. But we're not in a Shakespeare play, so we say, I'm proud of you. Um, so don't feel you, you can't say that anymore, because that is a good thing to do, to encourage and to build up. We're talking about the internal attitude of our hearts, this desire to be God ourselves, and it results in outward expressions. Jason Meyer highlights six different expressions of pride, which if we're honest this morning, we can all identify with uh, in our lives. The uh, first one is self-exaltation. It's when we take credit for the good things in our lives. We believe that the reason we have these good things in our lives is in some way because of us. So we take credit for all the good things that we have done. Self-promotion, number two, it's a branch of self-exaltation. We put those good things forward so that others will give us credit for them. We put all these different good things forward in our lives so that someone might respond by bigging us up in some way. Self-justification, when we take credit for morally good works as a way of justifying ourselves before God or other people. Look at what I've done. That makes me a good person. Self-degradation. This is when we actively and consciously tear ourselves down. Look at how bad I am in this area or that area. Now you might not identify that as pride. That's something we're going to look at. Self-demotion. Uh, we make ourselves less, not out of humility, but ironically out of pride. It's actually a sneaky form of self-promotion. We're actually looking for people to say the opposite of what we've been advertising about ourselves. I do that. You know, I can testify to that. Pauline will be able to share that with you, that, that Mark does that. Especially after a bad sermon, you know, I'll be like, you know, looking for sympathy in some way. Self-promotion, self-demotion. Number six, self-condemnation. This is when we pass judgment on ourselves. When we fall short of our own standards, we're ashamed at ourselves for not meeting our own particular standard. So the first three of these are all about bigging up ourselves. And the last three are all about down downplaying ourselves. And what they all have in common, which is the essence, it's a DNA of pride, is a preoccupation with self. A firm conviction that I'm bigger and more important than anything in creation, including God himself. The eyes of our heart are looking inward. We're looking right back at ourselves. And in doing this, we forget to look out for other people. We have no regard or concern for those in need. We all probably know of someone like that. Maybe you are that person. We all know how draining that person can be as well. When all a person does is talk about themselves, whether that's great things they've achieved or just how difficult life is. And, and I don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. It's important that we share with one another um, our burdens and our difficulties. But there's definitely a line that we can cross where all the focus is on us, where we make Denison Baptist Church about me, myself and I and not about Jesus. So it's not just the self-promoters, it's also the self-degraders. What, what differentiates the proud from the humble, the opposite of pride, is what it is we focus on. 
C.S. Lewis says this about humility in light of our constant commitment and dedication to pride. He says, humility is not thinking less of ourselves, but thinking of ourselves less. So I wish I had it up on the screen, but I don't. It's such an important quote for us to, to understand and to examine. Am I being proud in this moment? Humility is not thinking less of ourselves, but thinking of ourselves less. Self forgetfulness. Humility is a polar opposite of pride, and it is the antidote to pride. It is a means from which, according to our passage in verse 5, we receive grace. God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. A humble person is a friend of God. Is it your ambition to live in such a way that you carry humility on a consistent basis? This is a funny thing about pride and humility. Well, it's not funny at all, actually. But the moment you start to think that you're humble, that's the moment you start to look inwardly. And the moment you start to look inwardly, that is the moment that pride arises in your life. So the answer is not constant self-analysis at our humility level or our pride level. The answer is to look to Jesus and to trust in his promises, to fix our eyes upon him as the author and perfecter of our faith. So I want us just to look at three declarations that are both true and humility enabling. When we hold on to these promises, these declarations, then we can live a life of humility. So let's look at the first one. As we look to resolve this problem and this issue of sin and pride, and as we embrace a culture and a lifestyle of humility, and number one, he has justified me. We have to declare that in our lives. Maybe you could pray that in your life. He has justified me. This is a declaration that says that God has made me right in his eyes. I've not made myself right in God's eyes. God has made me right in his eyes. This is not based on anything that I've done. I'm undeserving and ill-deserving of God's grace. It is all of Jesus. He chose to bless me and to restore me into a right relationship with him. This is based on all that Jesus has done through the cross. It is a gift of God. In our missional community, Mark and I were, were looking at the ways in which God provides and blesses us. Uh, and Mark highlighted Ephesians 2. And there's an incredible verse in Ephesians 2. And it speaks of how no man can boast. No man or woman can have pride in their life. Because the gift of grace is essentially that. It is an absolute gift. I can't boast of how I've achieved a relationship with God. Jesus has done it all for me. So we all have a choice to make when it comes to Jesus. In pride, I'm going to try and justify myself and fail. Or in humility, I'm going to recognise that God justifies me. Jason Meyer says this about our sin and our relationship with God. The glory of God and the pride of man will collide at one of two crash sites. Hell or the cross. Either we will pay for our sins in hell or Christ will pay for our sins on the cross. We'll either pay for our sins in hell or Christ will pay for our sins on the cross. Don't take that lightly. If you have not put your faith and trust in Jesus today, then you can do that. And Christ will pay for every single one of your sins on the cross. There's nothing that fills our humility bucket more than holding on to the amazing reality that we are made right before God only, only through Jesus' death on the cross for each one of us.
A life of humility is impossible unless you carry this truth. He has justified me. Hold on to that this morning. Number two, the second declaration. He has empowered me. We declare God has given me everything I need to live a life that is pleasing to him. The only reason I can do this, the only reason I can declare this, is through a work of the Holy Spirit. God has empowered me, he is empowering me, and he will empower me day after day. The power that God gives us is always from that place of humility. God will not give you a fresh infilling of his Holy Spirit unless you begin from that place of humility. It is impossible to be proud and to be full of the Spirit. Paul speaks of this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verses 7 to 10. Um, and the words will be up on the screen again. Paul says, Therefore, um, so that I would not exalt myself, in other words, so that Paul would remain humble, that he would protect himself from pride, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me, so that I would not exalt myself. So we don't know what Paul's thorn in the flesh was, but we do know that it was a painful thing in his life, and it kept him away from pride and towards humility. It was a, a painful gift from God. Verse 8, Paul continues, Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. So humility is when we recognise our weakness. And when we recognise our weakness, it is then and only then that God empowers us. Paul continues, Therefore I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions and in difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So we begin our lives with an awareness of our weakness. This instills within us humility. We understand who God is. We understand who we are. And then we can declare, he has empowered me. He fills me afresh with his Holy Spirit. This is a progressive blow against pride. Day after day, God calls us to be equipped and enabled by his spirit. So number two, he has empowered me. Number three, he has promised me. God has promised that one day you'll be with him in eternity. If you have a right relationship with him, you'll spend eternity with Jesus. You'll actually see the face of Jesus. We will be like him for we will see him as he is. 1 John 3, 2. On this day, all pain, all hurt, all brokenness, all evil, all rebellion will be completely re uh, removed, obliterated. And on this day, every form of pride will be defeated. Isaiah 2, and uh, verses 11 to 12, writes about this final blow to pride. Isaiah says, The pride of mankind will be humbled, and human loftiness will be brought low. The Lord alone will be exalted on that day. For a day belonging to the Lord of armies is coming. Against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up, it will be humbled. This is the final blow against pride. This is the day that pride is completely defeated. So aren't we glad that we worship a God who wants to deal with our pride? That he doesn't just leave pride to flourish. But he is a God who is good and who is just. 
and who wants to resolve this problem in our lives. And aren't we glad we, re- we have a God who rejoices over us and who wants to be in relationship with each one of us? If that's not humbling for you, then I don't know what is. So let me encourage you to embrace these three declarations, to be transformed, to receive his power, and to hold on to his promise of eternity. That will create within you humility and a desire to live for him. As we close, let me just adapt a a famous quote from John Owen. Um, And it's a challenge for each one of us. Owen said this. Owen said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. And just to adapt it slightly, be killing pride or pride will be killing you. Be killing pride or pride will be killing you. In our pursuit of Jesus, let's be letting go of the sin of all sins and let us love him and live for him with all that we are. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for for your word and just for how clear it is and helping us to see um, who it is you call us to be. Lord, we come from a place of confession this morning and we recognise, Lord, that there are many ways in which we choose to reject you. And Lord, we want to hold on to your grace and we want to trust that you have the very best for us. And so, Lord, would we come to that place of being justified, of being uh, empowered day after day, and being in that place where we live for you uh, with all that we are in light of the eternity that you have for us. Lord, we love you and we ask that you would speak to us through this time of response and this time of worship. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we sing, uh, there is opportunity for you to respond. Um, If you've been challenged um, by anything that's been said, um, then there's space here at the front uh, just to receive prayer. Um, It might be a a situation or a circumstance in your life that you need prayer for. Then do come forward uh, and we would love to pray with you and for you. It may be a physical illness. Maybe you want to receive prayer for healing. Um, Again, do come forward. Or maybe you want to put your faith and trust in Jesus today then we would give you opportunity to do that, um, to believe in him and to reject um, all the sin uh, that is in each one of our lives. Um, You can also respond by coming to the table if you have faith in Christ. Then take the bread and remember Christ's body that was given for each one of us. And as you take that bread, to then dip it into the cup and to reflect and to rejoice in his blood uh, that was shed for us. The only reason we can be here uh, this morning is because of Jesus because of the cross and because of what this table symbolises. So let's stand uh, and let's respond uh, and worship.